Welcome to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. So honored to be here. Go ahead and have a seat, and let me just pray for us before we get started. In case I say anything just bad right off the bat, it'll be covered in prayer. Amen. Father God, Lord, we love you. Um, God, I am desperate for you. We're all desperate for you. God, uh, we pray that your spirit would be in this place, but more importantly, God, we pray that we would decrease so that you can increase. Lord, we already know by the promise of your word that the spirit is inside of us. So Father God, I pray that there would be a recognition of the power that is within us. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would hide me this morning behind the cross, Father God, that everything that I say, everything that I do would be bathed in the word. And Father God, I pray that by some miracle, Lord, these words that I say would touch your heart and change a life. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So uh, thank you so much, Brittany. And um, I... uh, So excited to be here, and I have to say, I want to honor just uh, real quick Pastor Sean, Pastor Jen. Uh, It's his fault. I'm in Murfreesboro, Um, so you can can tell him I said that. Uh, But um, my uh, years, uh, gosh, uh, what, a year and a half, you said? I don't know. I've lost all track of time, but he knew I was struggling with this call, and at the time, I was his boss. So in retrospect, I'm looking at this, and I'm not, trying to sh- I'm, I'm not sure if he was trying to encourage the call or if he was trying to get rid of me as his boss, but he said, hey, um, you should plant a church in Murfreesboro, and uh, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm retiring. You know, this is where I'm, I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. Um, uh, I'm going to die in Fredericksburg, and, um, and then uh, the, the wrestle started happening, and uh, I walked into Pastor Daniel's office. Um, it was the second week of COVID. Timing could not have been better, and, right? And I said, I'm sorry. I, I feel like God's called me to do this. And he said, where are you thinking of going? I said, I'm not sure the city yet, but I know the state, and it'll be Tennessee. But uh, uh, Sean told me uh, I should look at Murfreesboro, and I've not been able to get that city out of my head. Now, Murfreesboro, Tennessee is just south of Nashville, 30 people move to the city every day. Um, it is the number one, des- Tennessee's the number one destination for U-Haul trucks, go U-Haul. And the fastest growing county is Rutherford County and the fastest growing city is Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So we went down and visited and uh, after a lot of visits, a lot of prayer, a lot of, a lot of crying, uh, we, we knew that God was calling us there and we are blessed to have a good crew go with us. We have 20 people going. Um, uh, that have uh, about 12 of them have already moved with us. Another uh, eight to 10 are, are coming this summer. And uh, we're having interest meetings right now and community nights. And you can be praying for us and praying for our impact. But it is a lot of fun. We've already had about 20 people join the team. And we'll be launching August 8th. And um, yep. So now... You can also pray for me. My wife and I had a battle in the car about what we're going to name the church, and uh, we were going through all these names, and, and um, I landed on this name, Alinea. Alinea is a pilcro or a paragraph marker that you see. Uh, it looks like a backwards P, and it simply means the beginning of a new train of thought or a fresh start. 
And I was like, that's, that's the name of our church. And she said, no one in Tennessee is going to know how to say that. <laughs> so I called my dad. And uh, my dad's from, I'm from East Tennessee. My dad's still in Kingsport. And I spelled it for him. I said, if you can say the name right, then this is the name of our church. And he said the name right. Now, no one in Murfreesboro does. So it's like, tell me about Alana Church. I'm like, oh, never mind. Um, anyway, so let me introduce you to uh, my family uh, real quick. Um, this is, oh, there they are. There I am. Let me get out of the way. So that's my beautiful wife, Jennifer. We uh, were married in 2003. I'm not going to try to say how long we've been married uh, because I'll get it wrong, as all husbands do. Uh, so we've been married since 2003. That's my boy, Wyatt. He's my oldest on the right. And then Weston is on the left. Uh, he is 12. Wyatt is about to be 14. And then that's Dolly Parton, our dog. <laughs> so... Uh, my wife and I, you can pray for us. We, we struggle with communication, as all married couples do. And um, she was talking to my mom. My mom and Jennifer have great relationships. And she was talking to her. And uh, afterwards, I said, so what's going on? She goes, oh, your brother, your brother got a job at NASCAR. I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, he got a, brother, got a job at NASCAR. Now, uh, my family is in East Tennessee. So Bristol's not that far away, Bristol Motor Speedway. And uh, it's the uh, uh, fastest half, half mile in, in the world. It's just like this big bowl, and cars just drive around, left turns all day long. And, uh, and that's what they do. And so I was thinking, of so proud of Christopher because he got a job at NASCAR. And I'm like, well, what's he going to be doing? And um, she said, he's going to be flagging the drivers for driving too rough and making them pull over. And I'm thinking to myself, What? Like Christopher's going to be standing out there like, Kyle Bush, move, over. You're too rough. Joey Logano, you're parking it. You're, you're in timeout. This is a, and I could not figure for the life of me how Christopher got this job and how that was supposed to work in a NASCAR race, official NASCAR race. My brother was out there on the track pointing the professional NASCAR drivers, pull over. And my wife could see, like, I was so confused and I could not understand what was going on. And she's like, do you, are we talking about the same thing? And I said, so he's going to be working at Bristol and he's going to be pulling over NASCAR drivers. This doesn't make any sense to me. She goes, no, no, NASCAR, the go-kart place. Ah, <laughs> uh, now I get it. Ha have you ever had one of those moments where you realize you were not talking about the same thing that the other person was talking about? And you can just see the moment of confusion on your face. So I'm not sure if it's going to be up here or right here, but I'm going to touch the screen. Uh, there it is. It's up there. All right. This happened to the entire country just a few years ago. Now, show of hands, who sees a black and blue dress? Okay. Other show of hands, who sees a white and gold dress? Oh, my goodness. This is amazing. All right, so what happened was somebody threw this up online, and it caused such a firestorm. Now, here's what's going on. Light enters your eyes at different wavelengths depending on the color reflection, right? You have cones and rods in your eyes that receive these wavelengths and are interpreted by your brain what color you're seeing, and honestly, all of it was an optical illusion created by the Russians to try to bring down America. That's really what was going on. <laughs> now, 
I hate to break it to you, but the dress is actually black and blue. I'm sorry, it's black and blue. Now, that, I'm not saying that because I see black and blue, even though I actually do see black and blue. And it's nice to be right sometimes. But you cannot convince the people that see white and gold that it's black and blue. You cannot convince them. Now, let me, let me show you a scripture, and we're gonna go to a passage in the Bible, and here's what's interesting. You're going to see something that is so clear to you, but to the person that we're reading about, it, they, they see a completely different scenario. Does that make sense? So let's look at this. So Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Man. Now, just keep reading. He says, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. Now, for us, let's, uh, let's look at what's going on here. Now, what has happened to this poor guy? Maybe, he, maybe he's lost a lot. Maybe he's lost a kid. Maybe he's going through a divorce. Um, maybe the stock market crashed. Maybe he's just really bummed out that he didn't get in on Dogecoin, Dogecoin coin back in January, and now he's lost all that money. Maybe he is, he's just, he's just in a funk. Something bad, horrible has had to happen in his life, right? He wants to die. Now, let me give you the actual story about what's going on. Just a few verses earlier, we find out that this great prophet of God is in a scenario where the entire nation of Israel has turned their back on God and he has called them out on it and he has called all the prophets of Baal to this place called Mount Carmel and he's gonna have like this battle of gods, my God against Baal. And we're gonna see who wins. And so he has them all dig a trench around this uh, altar and he has them pour water on it and pour water on it and pour water on it and so much water that it filled up the trench. And then he calls down fire from heaven. And at the end of the story, we see that our God won and Baal lost. That is what has just happened. And he wants to die what in the world is happening here? This makes no sense. We see the story as black and blue. Elijah sees the story as white and gold, and he cannot be convinced otherwise. This is what I think is going on here. I think that our prophet here is experiencing what 18.8 million Americans a year suffer from, one in four people will have suffered from this, is suffering from this, or will suffer from this. And this thing called depression. That we see that our man here is going through a season of depression. So if you look down your row, you can say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, 
four. One, two, three, four. That they will go through depression, are in a season of depression, or have gone through depression. And to compound that, we know from statistics that 29% of all cases go unreported. And we see, man, what is going on here? How can this be? And, and we're not talking about sadness because we've all been sad. We've all been sad when, when our team lost. We've all been sad when we watched a movie. We've all been sad when we've had a fight. We've all been sad. But those are seasons um, that are typically short. I'm talking about depression where it impacts our daily living, not just in days, but in weeks and months and maybe even years that, that depression is serious, serious thing. Now, if we look at depression, we can see um, a lot of different symptoms, feeling blue, feeling numb, irritability, agitation, difficulty concentrating, uh, feeling worthless, feeling helpless, feeling hopeless, feeling guilty, We've got some more indecisiveness, indecisiveness, decreased energy or motivation, decreased interest in previously enjoyed activities, decreased social interaction, crying, sleep disturbance, appetite disturbance, unintentional weight loss or weight gain, aches and pains that do not improve with treatment, excessive use of alcohol or other substances, or thoughts of suicide. Now, you may look at that list and you may realize like, oh my goodness, I have gone through that. Or you've actually may have gone to the doctor and been diagnosed with depression. But that's what we wanna talk about today in this series, Help I Am, is we're gonna look at help, I'm, I'm depressed. Like, what does the Bible say about this? Like, is this something the Bible even talks about? And I wanna say yes. Like, if you look at all of the people in the Bible that, in my opinion, have gone through seasons of depressed, which looking at our, our man, Elijah, we're looking at Naomi, we look at, at David, we look at Saul, I believe Saul was depressed and I believe that it actually, it actually defeated him. We, we see all these people in the Bible that went through seasons of depression. Now, we looked at the symptoms of depression, what are the triggers of depression? So the triggers are, are many. The first thing that we can see on uh, depression triggers is it's chemical. Now, people who are depressed we all have these things in our brains called monoamines. And people who are depressed have lower levels of monoamines. Those are, those are things like serotonin or, or dopamine. So at the end of the day, depression is this chemical thing that's going on in our mind. Now, another thing that it can be is it can be genetic. What do I mean by that? I mean that you look back in your family history and you see that there's been a, a pattern of depression in your life, maybe from your dad, maybe from your grandpa. In fact, if you look at uh, genetic causes, people who have depression in their background are three to five times more likely to suffer from depression. In fact, 40% of all people who have been diagnosed with, with depression can trace it back to a genetic cause. A third thing that we can look at is we can look at it being a secondary issue. So a secondary issue is something like this. You have chronic pain. Like I know people who who suffer from severe back pain and they struggle with depression. In other words, depression isn't the main thing. It's something that's, that's being fleshed out because of something else that's there. Maybe you have severe back pain. Maybe you have poor health. Um, maybe you suffer from uh, seasonal depression disorder where the days start getting shorter and you start getting less vitamin D in your body. Um, maybe uh, you have gone through some 
sort of uh, surgery. I know of a pastor who went through open heart surgery and he's one of these guys that he is like, uh, God is good, God is great all the time and he's just always up, 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 up and the doctor walked in and they said, listen, we're gonna do open heart surgery on you and, I, and you need to be aware that a lot of people who have this procedure go through a season of depression, not me. I'm good, man. My God's bigger, my God's greater. And three or four days after the surgery, he was like, what is wrong with me? What is going on? Why am I suffering from this? So it can be a secondary thing. The other thing that it can be, oh, let me read a verse to you real quick, is this. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do, not, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The reason I put that scripture in there is I wanted to pause real quick and say, of course, we suffer from depression like never before. This, these are statistics that are pre-COVID. So I can talking to Ryan beforehand, he's like, now it's kind of like not, it's not like who suffers from depression, it's like who doesn't suffer from depression? Now that we've, we've been going through this season of, of hell for the entire world where we've been isolated, but we, we live in such a fast-paced world that we're always shoving junk in our body, right? Come on, who doesn't love a double-decker taco? Come on. And, and what's up? What is up with Taco Bell taking away all of our favorite menu items? Because you cannot get a double-decker taco anymore. Sorry, that's a side note. But we, we shove all these things in our body. We worry excessively. We don't get enough sleep. We lay there. We think about the day. We think about all the things we should have said different. We think about all the things we've got to do tomorrow. We wake up, we're sleep deprived, and of course it shows up as a secondary issue because we're not taking care of ourselves, and it is exactly what the enemy wants to do to us. But why? Because our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. He wants to attack your temple, and we have to be aware of that. All right, situational. It can be a situational cause. What do I mean by situational? And it's there, I promise. There it is. No, it's not. Anyway, situational. Trust me, it's there. Um, situational, what I mean by that is maybe you have lost somebody. Maybe you have lost a child. Maybe you have lost a spouse. Maybe uh, it's every anniversary of that instance, you know that you are going to suffer from deep depression. Maybe you've gone through a, a life change. People who go through life changes like moving, uh, like starting new jobs, like, like having a child, like all of those things can, can knock us off balance and cause us to, to be susceptible of going through depression. Like, like, like leaving the place you've lived for 15 years and deciding you're gonna do this crazy thing like start a church, or, you know, stuff like that. So it could be, situational, but it can also be spiritual. And in my opinion, all of these things, at the end of the day, are spiritual attacks. Ephesians 6 says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you're suffering from depression, 
I promise you, it is a spiritual attack. Whether it is chemical, whether it is genetic, whether it is eating too many double-decker tacos supremes, whatever the case may be, it is a spiritual attack because the devil wants to knock us down. He wants to knock us down. So let's go back to our man, Elijah, and let's figure out what is going there. So Elijah, in my opinion, was working through spiritual warfare. It was a spiritual attack. Look at this, 1 Kings 19, 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Talking about the prophets that just died. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah, the, the peak of his ministry on Mount Carmel, calls down fire from heaven, wipes out 400 prophets of Baal. He is on the peak. He is on the mountaintop. He can't get any better than this. And what does the enemy want to do? Hey, I'm going to kill you. Spiritual attack. And what does Elijah do? He runs. He runs. He just had the major victory in his life. God came through for him. And the enemy said, I'm going to kill you. And he runs. It was spiritual warfare. It was spiritual warfare that he was, he was going against. Second thing is, is he was isolated. First Kings 19, three, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He did what anybody who was going through depression should never, ever, 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 ever do. And that's isolate. And guess what the enemy has been so good at doing to us for the last year and a half? Getting us to isolate. We are not meant to live life alone. Please mark that in your Bibles. Circle it. Highlight it in yellow. Put arrows around it. We are not meant to live life alone. We are meant to live life in community. In community, uh, there's a guy, uh, he is a, a rabbi that just passed away last year, and he was talking about this idea of loneliness, this idea of loneliness, which I was, which I was really interested in because um, it's something that affects us so much because we're surrounded all the time by people and we're so alone. And we flip through our social media and we read about people and we're talking to people and we're interacting on these social networks and we're so alone. And this rabbi said that future anthropologists will look back at our generation to figure out what we worshiped. Because everybody worships something. We've worshiped the sun, we've worshiped stars, we've worshiped the storms, we've worshiped Roman gods, we've worshiped Greek gods. Some people worship many gods. Some people worship no gods. Some people worship one god. But at the end of the day, when future anthropologists look back at this generation, they're gonna see that we had all of these self-help books about how we can get better at this and how we can get better at that. They're gonna look at our opinion of morality, that morality is simply just being true to oneself. They're gonna look at our position on politics, that politics is following your inner truth, that that is what politics is about. And they're gonna realize that we worship the self, the me, and the I. And this is what he says. When we have too much of the I, 
and have too little of the we, we can find ourselves vulnerable, fearful, and alone. Vulnerable, fearful, and alone. I saw this crazy throwback video from 1973, and it was the, the Tonight Show, and it was Johnny Carson. Y'all, y'all know who Johnny Carson is? Y'all heard Johnny? Like two people. Gary, you know who Johnny Carson is. So when I, when I was growing up, that was, that was who, who was the, the man on the Tonight Show, and he did, he did all the Tonight Shows, and he was just a great comedian. But he was hosting Billy Graham. Now, how many knows who Billy Graham is? Okay, Billy Graham. All right. So, and Billy Graham, I love watching how he gets interviewed because he steer the person doing the question asking has no chance because Billy Graham knows how to steer that thing. And he, he always brings it back to Jesus and always brings it back to Jesus. And he said, he said, you know, the number one question I get as a pastor, people writing me, Pastor Billy, how can I find God? How can I find God? He said, you know what the, the number one problem everybody says that they have? Pastor Billy, I'm alone. I'm alone. That's in 1973. And we're still dealing with this plague of loneliness. And it's not supposed to be like that. I'm telling you, God wants you to know you are not meant to be alone. Look at Genesis. When, when God created him, Adam, he looked at Adam, and he's like, this isn't good that Adam is alone. That always blew my mind that God created something that was in a not good state, that God created Adam, and he looked at Adam, and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Loneliness is not the plan of God for your life. Last, uh, third thing, Elijah believed a lie. It says in 1 Kings 19.10, I am the only one left. Now, let's get perspective. He was just up on Mount Carmel. He asked the people to dig a trench around the altar. He asked the people in the middle of a drought to sacrifice the water that they had on them and pour it over the altar, so much so that it filled up the trench. Why did he think he was alone? Why did he think that he was the only one left? He just walked away from a victory and a miracle of God where the people rallied around him. He was not alone. It was a lie. In fact, afterwards, we find out that God has told him that he has reserved 7,000 other prophets of God that are loyal to God, that love God, that believe God, that are holy. It was a lie. He was believing a lie and he was telling himself a lie. The fourth thing, 1 Corinthians 19, 5, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. This is a really deep theological thing. I want you to get this. This is what Elisha was going through. He was hangry. Man, y'all ever been hangry before? It's not pretty, man. First time I ever experienced hangry was when I proposed to my wife. We went to Chick-fil-A, 
which is a Christian chicken. <laughs> Went to the drive-thru. She said, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I said, I'll get you some chicken, baby. I got you. I go get some eight-count chicken nuggets. We, I, I have this whole plan. I'm going to take her to the church where I accepted Christ. I'm going to take her down to the altar. I said, come on inside. I don't want to go inside. I don't want to eat. Come on inside. We're going to go inside. We go down to the altar. Still haven't opened up the food yet because I haven't learned at this point. I said, baby, this is where I made the most important decision of my life. And it's where I want to make the second most important decision of my life. Will you marry me? And she said, yes, put the ring on, open the bag, and started eating her chicken nuggets. <laughs> There's no tears. I'm so glad I didn't have a camera crew. Man, sometimes, sometimes we just need a granola bar. I'm serious. I'm not joking. And what I love about this, what, what verse was that? Verse, uh, verse five. Verse nine, it happens again. He eats, he rolls over, and he goes back to sleep. And then the angel came up to him a second time, kicked him and said, please eat. You are no good to me right now. We got a long journey. Go read it. I promise I'm not exaggerating. He wasn't, at the end of the day, what was going on is Elijah was not taking care of himself. Was not taking care of himself. All right. I'm looking at my timers. I've got three hours left. I'm good. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to unpack this real quickly by giving you a personal story. Because you look at that and you look at my family, my, my wife is gorgeous, my, my two boys are healthy, everything's going right for us. We got a golden doodle. I mean, come on, life is great, right? And you're thinking to yourself, how can you sit there and talk about depression? What gives you the right to stand up there and talk about depression? And let me just tell you, this is what gives me the right. I suffer from depression. I struggle with depression. Now, I want to give you my story. Before I do that, I want to say I am not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. This is my story. When you hear my story, you are going to realize there are some similarities to your story if you suffer from depression. There's also going to be moments in my story that you're going to not relate to at all because every story is different. Please understand that. Please understand that. This is my story. So what was my story? What in the world was going on with me? I could not figure out what was going on. I had no excuse. I felt like I was in a fog. I, I would have days where I would come home and I would turn off the car and I just wanted to stare. There is nothing like the silence of a car when you've just turned it off and there's nobody around. And I just wanted to stare. I really felt like that I was most productive watching paint dry because I did not have the mental capacity to process what I was going through. It felt like a fog. It felt like, it felt like me trying to climb out of something that was, that was impossible to climb out of. And this is the reason why depression is so troublesome is because we don't want to talk about it. And the reason we don't want to talk about it is we feel like it's our fault. And the reason we don't want to talk about it is we believe, well, I should be able to fix this myself. Now, there are things that you can ask me to do, and uh, I can 
I can uh, jump from this square to that square. You say, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to bend your legs and you're going to, you're going to kind of get a squat here and then you're going to propel yourself into the next, you're going to actually leave the ground. You're actually going to leave the ground and you're going to end up in that square. But you got to, you got to kind of get some, get some movement there. Okay, okay, I can do this. Ready? Think I can do it? All right, here we go. Come on now. Now, the same instructions. You're going to do the same thing, the same instructions, but I got to land over in that square, the furthest square. That's what depression feels like. I, I know how to jump from this box to that box. I know logically what I'm supposed to do. I know logically what is going on, but for some reason, I cannot figure out how to get from here to there. That's what depression feels like. It feels like a fog. Most people who go through depression, listen, no one wants to be depressed. We don't like it. Most of the time, we're confused about why we can't get out of it. That's what depression feels like. And so I was struggling with it, and I talked to my dad, and my dad's like, well, I gotta tell you something. I struggle with this thing called depression. Ding, 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 genetic. You need to go see a counselor. So I went and started seeing a counselor, and he told me, he said, Jeremy, the human brain is the most complex three pounds of gray mush on the planet, and sometimes it needs help. So I went to a psychiatrist, and I went to a psychologist, and I started getting help because I knew if I was going to treat the chemical, I also had to treat the intellectual. And this is what I love about going to a counselor is they're going to give you the mental tools that you need to help you figure out how to get out of it. And this was what my win was. My win was this, that I want it to be not as severe. I wanted it to be not as often. And I wanted it to be not as long. Not as severe, not as often, not as long. And if I could do that, I felt like I was winning. But my aim was that I had to get myself to where I was thinking correctly more often in my life. And I had to do that through four things. I'm gonna share those with you. The first thing is this, real quickly, you have to bring it to the light. You have to bring it to the light. Ephesians 5.13 says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible for it is light that makes everything visible. Nasty things grow in darkness. You don't believe me? Open up your fridge, go to the Tupperware that's at the bottom shelf and the back that you forgot about. Number two, know your triggers. First Peter 5.8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert. Know your triggers. You know what my triggers are? My triggers are disappointment. My triggers are rejection. Sometimes I don't even know what the trigger is, but I can feel it. I was having lunch with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and I told him, I was like, I, it's hitting me right now. I feel it. It felt like a dust storm was sweeping over my brain. And I was doing everything I could to fight it off. Everything I could to fight it off. And you just got to know what your triggers are. One time we went backpacking 
backpacking is a stupid thing that we do where we stick everything on our backs that we have to, that we need to survive and then hike out in the woods and then sleep out there with just the stuff in our back. And I wanted to, I wanted to share this stupidity with my kids because I thought it was something great that we could all do as a family. And so we just bought a brand new REI tent. Bougie. And you're already going to know, I'm going to give it away, but somebody in our church was very nice to my kids and gave them Swiss Army knives. And so I was over there making food, and I hear commotion, and my good wife was trying to run interference between commotion and dad because she knew dad. And uh, they had cut a hole in the brand-new REI tent. Lost my ever-loving mind. Now, that, that's not, the trigger wasn't them cutting the hole in the tent. The trigger was the lie that I told myself after I did what I did after they cut the hole in the tent. Because I took that Swiss Army knife and I chucked it as far as I could into the deep, dark woods, never to be found again. Now, that night I went out there and I found it, so everybody give up, let up on me a little bit. But what happened, and I started replaying that in my head. Anybody ever do that? Just beat yourself up, replay things in your head. Man, you're horrible. What kind of dad are you? A good dad would, man, he would know, he would know how to treat his kids. A good dad loves his kids. A good dad, the Bible says a good dad Man, the enemy is so good at throwing scripture at you and manipulating it. Man, the, the Bible says a, a father knows how to good gifts to your children. And, and you just, he's, man, your son's going to have to go through freedom group after he gets out of the house because of, because of you. And so the whole next day, I was under a cloud of depression that I had to fight myself out of because I started believing a lie. And that was a trigger couple more things. You've got to change your talk. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. And this is the thing is when you change your talk, you're all, everybody's talking to themselves all the time. You're always telling, now listen, you're always talking to yourself. If you start talking back, that's another series. There's help. I've got multiple personalities is next week. I'm just joking. Um, You've got to tell yourself the truth. When you tell yourself the truth, you start fighting from a position of victory instead of fighting for victory. When you start telling yourself the truth that I am loved, I am a child of God, I am blessed, I am chosen, I am covered in the blood, I am, I am seated in the, I am, I am His. Stop telling yourself junk. And for God's sake, stop letting the world tell you junk. It is not true. What the world thinks of you, who cares? Honestly, what you think of you, who cares? It's what does God think of you? And listen, I am so sick and tired, soapbox for a second, for us Christians, 
we live like for God so hated the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's not what that verse says. It says, for God so loved the world. God loves you. Start living like it. God, God loves your neighbor. Start living like it. Start believing the truth that the Bible speaks over you. Last thing is you gotta find a friend. Find a friend, Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. Ryan is a friend. I, he is the person I can call and I say, I'm in a funk. I've got a friend in Virginia. I can call him up. He can call me up and I can say, I'm in a funk. I can call my dad and I'm like, I have absolutely no excuse for this, but I am in a funk. That's, that's um, a lot of times that's what you need. Some of you need to find a friend. Actually, all of you need to find a friend. Some of you need to get help. And I know, I know it's hard and I know the stigma that comes with it, but I promise you, if anything with this message today, you should know, wait a minute, that many people suffer from this? Maybe I'm not alone. Maybe someone will understand. Maybe someone can help grab me by the hand and put me in the right direction. Because God does not want this for you. God has plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope in the future. And I love what this verse says, Psalms 34, 17 through 18, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So here's the thing, I want you to tell somebody and you need to get in community. This is not a small groups message. You just need to get in community. You need to, you need to look to your left and right and say, I haven't met you before. Let's go grab dinner after church. because that's what we need. We're not meant to live life alone. That same rabbi I was telling you about, he said that our society, we tend to live life like we're in hotel rooms. We pay our taxes and because we pay our taxes, it gives us the freedom to do anything that we want to in our hotel room. We can scream, we can shout, we can turn the TV up and down as loud as we want to. We can bounce off of the walls if we want to. But the problem is, at the end of the day, in that hotel room, you're all alone. And who belongs to a hotel? No one does. You check in and you check out. Don't, let's not do that with church either. Church isn't a hotel. It's not check in and check out. Be a part of a family. Be a part of a community. Be a part of a house. That's why we use the terminology about this house because this house contains a family within it and you are all here and we're all here for each other. You know what's a, my favorite part of this whole story? To give you hope. And let me say this real quick. There's a difference between hope and optimism. Optimism is things are gonna get great. Hope is if I work at this, things are gonna get great. Optimism takes no courage, hope takes courage. Be courageous today, but this is what Elijah did. He was courageous and it should give you hope because he did more miracles after that moment in his life 
than he did all combined prior to that. Fire from heaven paled in comparison to what God did through Elijah after that. So there is a tomorrow. You are not alone. And as we pray and we close our eyes, I want everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to this, but in a way that you may not realize That idea of loneliness that Billy Graham talked about, the reason he said that the number one question people have is how can I find God? And number two, I'm so lonely, is he called it this idea of cosmic loneliness. And the way that we solve cosmic loneliness is we encounter the living God. And if you've never done that today, you've never said, God, I've been following my own way. I'm, I'm tired, it's not doing me any good. I, I am going to repent from my direction. I'm gonna repent from my worldview. I'm gonna repent and turn, simply a changing of mind and turn towards you and follow you. I wanna give you the opportunity to do that today. Would you raise your hand if you'd like to pray that prayer with me? Just, to, just real quickly, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And I wanna ask everybody to keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. We're all going to pray this out loud for the benefit of those who are praying it for the first time. Would you all repeat after me? Dear God, I love you. I believe you sent your son to die for me, to pay for my sins. I make the decision today to turn from my ways and to turn towards yours. Put the Holy Spirit inside of me and change me as I pursue you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org forward slash give or text LCLOU to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.